that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So we read this story about a man from many years ago in a place many miles from here. And you may be wondering, what does that have to do with me in 2023? Well, it starts with the fact that God can change us. No matter what you've done in your past, God can transform us. And God can use us. Now let's back up to the beginning of verse 11. My question for you is, when you go shopping, do you prefer variety or ease? Over uh, Christmas, we got an opportunity to be with my son and so I took him into, of course, the farm store because he needed a new leather belt. And where do you go for clothing that lasts? You go to the farm store. So I took him in, and I wonder when you shop for a belt, do you simply choose between the black belt and the brown belt, or do you go in to evaluate every brown option? The belt may be called mahogany, walnut, saddle, or tan, but in the end, you walk out with the brown belt. Sometimes I prefer ease of shopping rather than considering all of the options. Due to the fatigue that Anne continues to experience from chemo and radiation, sometimes she goes into the store with me when we need groceries, and sometimes she remains in the car. Her decision to go in or not is largely shaped by my choice of grocers. Because if I go into Aldi's and chicken stock is on the list, I will come out with chicken stock. But if I go to some of the other markets and chicken stock is on the list, 
I have to decide between the store brand or the name brand, between the low sodium or traditional. Do I want broth or do I want stock? And sometimes the complexity of the marketplace is overwhelming. Similarly, when it comes to God, Jesus, and getting into heaven, right now there is a complexity of options. Paul had presented one gospel to the Galatians, the true gospel of God. And a few others had come and they presented their explanations of how they thought a person would get to God. And doing so, they were discrediting Paul's authority and truthfulness. They were telling him, that's not chicken stock. If you want chicken stock, this is how you get chicken stock. See, it was complex and more complex than it needed to be, according to the Judaizers. But just because a group of Judaizers did not want to call Paul an apostle does not mean that his authority or his message were to be disregarded, doubted, or dismissed. The problem facing the Galatians is the very same dilemma that we find ourselves in today. Who should I listen to? And how do I know what is true? The end of last week's text declared that Paul sought the approval of God as a servant of Christ. And from that position and that motivation, he then clarifies his message in verses 11 and 12 today. His position is that the source and the content of Paul's message. Let's first think of, about the source. His source, the source of his message, came with great authority. The gospel of grace, that is, that Jesus gave himself for our sins in order to transform us now, back in chapter 1, verse 4, this gospel did not come out of a brainstorming session, out of a user poll, or some test group. This message did not originate by some human agency as if the disciples got together in room and said, what should we tell the people? Verse 12 very clearly says it did not come from a human group. As a matter of fact, it was a revelation of Jesus Christ. Which if you are a Bible student, a Bible scholar of can mean a lot of different things. I don't know if my friend Brendan has gotten into the genitive case in his Greek studies yet, but there are 27 different uses of that genitive case. There are 27 different reasons why of might mean something specific. So we see an of, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and a Bible scholar will ask himself, well, was this a revelation from Jesus? It's a revelation of Jesus because he's the one that sent it. Or is it a revelation about Jesus? At the 
risk of sounding mundane, it depends what the of of rather than what the is is. And we have the same problem when we talk about the love of God. If I mention to you the love of God, do you think this phrase refers to God's love for us? Our love for Him? Or His love flowing through us towards others? All three of those are the love of God. So the question before us in this text is, was Jesus doing the revealing or was Jesus the one being revealed? And I believe in this verse, it is talking about Jesus is the one that is being revealed. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The gospel is not the story of how well or how poorly we obey. The gospel is a gospel of Jesus. It is not a gospel of what feast we do or do not participate in, what uh, surgeries we do or do not have. It's a matter of Jesus. Most of the top commentaries come down on the side of, this is talking about Jesus is the one being revealed. But I appreciate Dr. Grant Osborne's comment where he says, quote, It is likely that Paul is using a general genitive in the Greek, where both aspects are being emphasized. So verse 12 is talking about the revelation that comes from Jesus, but it's also revealing who Jesus is. Verse 12 speaks of the unity of the persons in the Godhead. Where if you look ahead to verse 16, it explicitly says, God revealed to me Jesus. So in verse 12, we think of God as one. In verse 16, we can think of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Father revealed Son to Paul. But it's important that we don't get lost in all this grammar of and of. Paul's main assertion in the first half of verse 12 is the source. What he is saying is, rather than being humanly developed, my gospel was revealed to me by God. And because the source is the perfect God, the message then is 100% true. Man's gospel, back in verse 11, has a double's meaning, just like the of that we talked about in the gospel of Jesus. Man's gospel can be the gospel that, was, uh, that originated with Judaizers and it originated in men who wanted to intimidate others and who wanted to make themselves look good. See, if I were to write a gospel, I'm going to write a gospel that makes me look good and you look shady. That's a gospel of man. And Paul exposes man's gospel in his letter to the believers in Ephesus. Many of you know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And 2.8 is also attached to 2.9 that says, Our salvation is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, Paul was preaching God's gospel, not man's gospel. Paul was preaching a gospel that makes Jesus look great. The Judaizers were promoting a message that says, look how good we are at 
making Jesus look great. See, those who were dismissing Paul were those who wanted to make themselves look impressive. Because they had been circumcised, and because they observed traditional fasting and feast days, they elevated their experience to a requirement for all people. It's one thing if I say that God considers bald heads beautiful. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's quite another if I say God only accepts bald heads. (laughs) See, you're getting more and more acceptable before God all the time, brother. See, false religions are the religions that are man's gospel. False religions make their founder or their leaders admirable. And these Judaizers went into the churches that Paul had planted, and they were now preaching their untruthful opinions because it was a message that made them and their experience look good. But God has placed within each of us a truth meter. And your truth meter needs to be turned on whenever you hear anybody claim to be a messenger of God and His Word and His will. If there is any denomination or congregation that adds to the glory of Christ by elevating its followers above others, it ought to set off that falsehood meter. Anytime you hear a religious leader say, our church is the only true church, your false meter ought to quiver. If someone tells you that a particular diet, eating kosher, or a particular spiritual gift, you speak in tongues, or a particular way of exercising faith, whether it be a bus ministry, door-to-door visitation, a particular translation of scripture, a particular style of music, the use or non-use of instruments, any particular exercise of these should immediately cause movement of the needle in your falsehood meter. Anyone who claims the only way to win souls is to go door to door, they've added to the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're saying the gospel of Jesus Christ must be done in this way. And there's, I have no problems with door to door. I've done door to door ministry, but it's not added as a requirement of being a good Christian. For a while, bus ministry was huge. Bible college students would go into neighborhoods and they would knock on doors and say, we're going to be back tomorrow morning. Can we take your child to Sunday school? And scores of children came to know Christ because of bus ministries that went into neighborhoods with parents who wouldn't take them to church. But bus ministry must never be added to the gospel as the only way children are going to learn the gospel of Jesus Christ is if we have a bus ministry. 
Because the gospel can be proclaimed in many different ways. I could talk about Bible translations. I could talk about particular styles of music. All of those ought to set off our falsehood meter if they are added to the gospel as the only way to God. Any religion that detracts from the glory of God by claiming that a person can be reconciled to God apart from the work of Christ should not only move the needle of your falsehood meter, but it should bury the gauge and set off an alarm in our head. Any religion that detracts from the glory of Jesus Christ by saying there is another Savior, there is another way to heaven apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of God who took on flesh ought to bury your falsehood meter as get out of here. See, after Paul makes a claim that he says, what I say, I say as authority because it comes from God himself. And what I say is truthful. It's not been added to by all of these other things. The rest of, chap- of the chapter provides three arguments as to why Paul says this is true. Let me move through these a little bit quicker. The first argument for his authority and his truth is the support for Paul's claim. The support is he was familiar with the other position in verses 13 and 14. See, the Judaizer's game is you accumulate credits based upon how zealous you are and how notorious... See the phrase advancing in Judaism? A person becomes. If you are zealous and you are well-known within that religion, that's how you gain credits. And Paul is able to say, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected for your sins so that you could be reconciled to God. It has nothing to do with your notoriety. It has nothing to do with how zealous you are. It's accomplished by Jesus. And Paul is able to contrast God's true gospel with their false message because he used to play their game. As a matter of fact, verses 13 and 14 tell us that Paul was better at their game than they are. And Paul says, that's why that's man's gospel, but I'm proclaiming to you God's gospel. See, each rabbi at this time in history had his own way where he would expand upon the Torah. Torah is the first five books of our Bible and the Jewish scriptures. And each rabbi had a list of explanations that he would use on how to live out Torah. And his explanation was known as his midrash. The collection of his sermons was his midrash. And over time, many different midrashim were compiled into a collection that is now known as the Talmud. And so you can get a copy written in Hebrew, translated into your language. It says, this is the general understanding of how to live out Torah. And the same thing was true, and it happened during Jesus' day. And so 
Each rabbi's midrash, I read Ray Vanderland say that a particular rabbi's midrash was also known as his yoke. And so Jesus, as a rabbi, refers in Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my midrash is gentle and lowly in heart, and it will bring you rest for your souls. For my explanation of Torah is easy. And the burden that I lay on your shoulders is light. See, Jesus was saying the gospel of God is that you can be forgiven apart from fasting and feast. You can be forgiven apart from circumcision. You can be forgiven apart from becoming a convert to Judaism in order to become a convert to Christianity. Jesus is saying, my yoke, my midrash of the Old Testament is easy. Accept it. It's a free gift of salvation. See, Paul had so much familiarity with the other position. It, a, a midrash is what we would call discipleship. Learning and following a teacher. If we learn and follow the teaching of Jesus... That's what it meant for a young Jewish boy to advance in Judaism. How well could a young boy repeat and defend his rabbi's human midrash? I, I was looking today, and, and I know that several of you are involved in wrestling. Several of you enjoy watching or participating in football. Um, I know that we've got some softball players in the room. Volleyball is, as well. What I found is that every sport has agreed upon written rules. The rule is or is not allowed. That's like Torah, the first five books of our Bible. But, each coach has a way of applying the rules differently. This would be the coach's midrash. In baseball, there is an unwritten rule that if a player gets hit by a pitch, later in the game, the pitcher can expect to receive a beanball. It's not written in the rules, but it's generally accepted. That's the way you play the game. Some coaches emphasize the way to winning is speed. Others try to maximize your strength. And other coaches would say the way to win is to have a superior technique. And the ability to perform within a particular coach's system is a way of advancing in the sport. Schemes that then would combine several similar coaches, like the West Coast offense or a run-and-gun type of basketball. Or pass the basketball to create openings. All of these different coaching philosophies would be grouped into a Talmud. Am I willing to run this type of offense? Am I going to play this type of defense? And so we have the rules, the application, and the scheme. 
And Paul is saying, these Judaizers are advancing this scheme, and I'm calling you back to the rules. I'm calling you back to God forgives based upon the blood sacrifice of Jesus and not all these other things. Paul had advanced under the tutoring of Rabbi Gamaliel, Acts 22.30, because he was able to cite Gamaliel's human midrash more than his peers, verse 14a. And so Paul claims, my apostleship is superior to yours because I've played in both systems and I know God's true gospel is the only way to please God. Authority and truthfulness support number one. Verses 15 through 17 is the second support for Paul's authority and truthfulness. He says, the gospel that I preach brings genuine transformation. Although he had advanced in zeal for the human traditions of his fathers, a change took place because, verse 15, God had set Paul apart before his birth. Just as a side note, that means God's at working, God's at work in preborn humans. They don't become human at first breath. Paul says, God was working. God set me apart before my first breath. See, God set him apart before birth. God called him through grace, the second part of verse 15. God revealed Jesus to Paul, first part of 16. And the second part of verse 16 is that God determined that Paul would preach Jesus among the Gentiles. See, what I see in verses in the last part of verse 16 into 17 is God himself directly formed the Apostle Paul into the messenger that he wanted him to be. Paul had played their game. Paul was transformed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the results came. They were slow, but the results were genuine. Paul could not be a considered an apostle of any of the, He could not be considered a student of any of the other apostles, as he had been with Gamaliel. Because he only spent two weeks with Peter, And he occasionally met James while he was there. His track record revealed that people were suspicious of Paul because he had a reputation. But their suspicion was turned. Their suspicion was transformed so that finally they're giving God glory. Regardless of your background, God transforms so that you can help others to glorify God. When we surveyed the book of Acts last year, we saw that Paul encountered many ideas and many opinions about religion. And as Paul encountered many uh, different ideas throughout um, southern Asia, he remained truthful. And today we live in a marketplace of ideas. 
We live in a marketplace where you can get 12 different types of broth. Which one's best? Well, that, that's just individual choice, right? Unless you watch America's Test Kitchen. They tell you which one's truly best. See, in the marketplace of ideas, we gain credibility by speaking of God's authority and by speaking His truth, not our opinions. Human opinions leaves our neighbors wanting something more satisfying. And while we don't need to cite the chapter and the verse for every thought, we will be held accountable for our adherence to the worldview that is described by God. Because God has the rights of ownership over this creation, because He made everything, we will be held accountable to that worldview. See, a variety of ideas can lead to paralysis of choice. I don't know if I should be this denomination or that denomination. Should I read Harry Potter? Should I not? Should I buy crystals? Should I not? Should I observe communion this way? Should I communion that way? Do I have to do communion at all? Do I have to go to church? See, there's lots of human opinions that leave our neighbors wanting something truthful. Something that I can count on. It's become acceptable in our society for you to just speak your truth. And since it is your truth, it can't be questioned, but it can be ignored. And so we can't speak our truth. I can't speak my truth. What the world needs to hear is the truth. And Paul says that's what his gospel was. Because popularity does not determine veracity. We're not going to take a, an opinion poll to determine if we think this is true or not. It is either true or it is not, and it matters not what people think about it. In our society of representative democracy, the majority rules. But in God's economy, the majority may be wrong. This morning we will share a meal that has been instituted by Christ's authority. He instructed us to do this until he returns. The second reason that we do this is not because, only because of his authority, which is reason enough, but because we believe the bread and the wine represent a literal, historical, truthful crucifixion of Jesus, who literally shed his blood his body was literally and historically broken for us. The scripture tells us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared the bread and the wine with his disciples, and he connected a new meaning to it. The bread and the wine meant much for Jews who have observed Passover, but Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood that is spilled for the forgiveness of sins. I'd like to invite our elders to join me at the front of the church at this time as we will observe this meal out of Christ's authority and believing it to be truthful. <laughs>